AI number 43. Functional Discoveries. By Zvi. We get innovation in functional search. In an even more functional search, we finally get a Nature paper submitted almost two years ago, in which AI discovered a new class of antibiotic. That's pretty damn exciting, with all the implications thereof. OpenAI continued its rapid pace of shipping, pivoting for this week to safety. There was a paper about weak to strong generalization. I see what they are trying to do. It is welcome, but I was underwhelmed. It and Lyca's follow-up post continue down a path for which I have high skepticism, but the new concreteness gives me more hope that the flaws will be exposed early, allowing adjustment. Or I could be wrong. OpenAI also had the beta release of preparedness framework. That was more exciting. There was a lot of great stuff there, much better than I would have expected, and having a framework at all is a big step too. Lots of work remains, but an excellent start. I took a deep dive. I was on not one, but two podcasts that came out this week, both Clearer Thinking and Humans of Magic. Both contain some AI talk, but spend the majority of their time on other things. Heading. Language models offer mundane utility. Ask dumb questions while traveling, presumably using vision. Seems kind of awesome. Gemini AI Studio lets you turn the dial on its safety settings. This is awesome. There's an image here in the text. Quote. Nick Arna. Interesting that Gemini AI Studio has this UI for adjusting safety settings of content. I don't think I've ever seen a product take this direction before. Danielle Fong. Gemini please set the AI to unhinged, thanks. Wint, March 15, 2017. Turning a big dial that says racism on it and constantly looking back at the audience for approval like a contestant on the price is right. End quote. For some purposes, you want to turn all four dials to maximum. For others, you very much do not. If our best commercial models continue to always be the fun police, then people who want sexually explicit or dangerous content, or otherwise want to avoid the censorship, are going to go elsewhere, driving demand for more dangerous products. This is the best answer, to allow those who actively want it to get that service in safe fashion, while keeping the truly dangerous and unacceptable things blocked no matter what. You want people not to have systems capable of producing deepfake porn, or instructions for bioweapons. In practice? Then you need to let them get a system that produces generic porn rather than making them seek out and fuel demand for the fully unlocked version. Terence Dow using GPT-4 to help with his productivity in math, source. Quote. Terence Dow. I could feed GPT for the first few PDF pages of a recent math preprint, and get it to generate a half dozen intelligent questions that an expert attending a talk on the preprint could ask. I plan to use variants of such prompts to prepare my future presentations or to begin reading a technically complex paper. 2023-level AI can already generate suggestive hints and promising leads to a working mathematician, and participate actively in the decision-making process. When integrated with tools such as formal proof verifiers, internet search, and symbolic math packages, I expect, say, 2026-level AI, when used properly, will be a trustworthy co-author in mathematical research, and in many other fields as well. End quote. I found this fascinating. Quote. The stylistic signals that I traditionally rely on to smell out a hopelessly incorrect math argument are of little use with LLM-generated mathematics. Only line-by-line reading can discern if there is any substance.
End quote. I feel that. There are many other places too, where you can sense the patterns underlying good thinking in a human. Whereas an LLM breaks the correlation between the content and the vibe. Heading. Language models don't offer mundane utility. The Gemini API will throw an exception if there is even a small chance of what it thinks of as harmfulness, say if you ask it why people hate Hawaiian pizza, or ask what are common criticisms of any given government. Pitch on CNBC for an AI wearable from Humane. Should have gone with goggles. Gemini Pro clocks into chatbot arena as a GPT 3.5 level model, leaderboard, model. There's an image here in the text. It is interesting that Gemini Pro has not impressed, whereas Mistral is a very strong new entrant, with essentially the same score. Gemini Pro is very explicitly a lightweight version of Gemini Ultimate. It coming in at 3.5 level is expected. I am not impressed, but I am also not disappointed. As usual, the whole Anthropics model's getting worse question remains unsolved. Meanwhile, the pileup at exactly 3.5 level, between 11.05 and 11.16 ELO, continues. It increasingly seems like there is some sort of natural barrier there. Heading. GPT for real this time. Log probabilities of different tokens now available in the OpenAI API. OpenAI offers some basic prompt engineering tips. Ethan Mollick reports GPT-4 is good again, after having been bad for a while. I've seen reports of others reporting this as well. GPT-4.5 for real this time? There were claims that GPT-4.5 was coming in December. There was a supposed leak of GPT-4.5's pricing information at six times the cost of GPT-4. There were claims that it had already stealth-launched, and that was why after getting worse for a while GPT-4 was suddenly doing dramatically better. December is not quite over, but the prediction markets have come around to this all being fake, after Sam Altman explicitly denied the leak and Rune rightfully mopped those who thought there would be a mid-December stealth launch of something, like this. And yeah, that never actually made any sense. Quote. Rune. You guys need to develop more resistance to crazy AI hype brothers. There's no 4.5 and if there was it wouldn't be released silently, and if it was released silently you wouldn't have the API string self-docs as 4.5. End quote. I see no reason for Rune to be bluffing here. There were even crazy secondary theories, like this one. Quote. Matt Popovich. Interesting theory. At least optimal on Reddit. My theory is that they're using a fine-tuned version of GPT-4, Turbo in, ChatGPT, to fix the issue with everyone saying it was lazy. They fine-tuned it using responses from GPT-4.5, Turbo, which they have internally. This synthetic data was probably based on a suite of questions which included self-identification, leading to it releasing its model name in the training data, and the new, ChatGPT, less lazy model is adopting the name via osmotic data leakage. Daniel Fong or psyoping an LLM to be smarter and more on it and it thinks it's GPT 4.5, turbo, smiley face. End quote. We know this one is fake, because it does not fit the pattern of OpenAI releases. Turbo means, the secondary release of the model number that is refined and cheaper. If you are claiming to be or to be about to be offering GPT 4.5, that is something that will happen. If it has the turbo label, and 4.5 is not out yet, you are bluffing. Danielle's theory is less definitely wrong, and also funnier. Heading. Fun with image generation. Midjourney v6 was released overnight.
Early reports are that it is a major advance and pretty awesome, with pictures to back up that claim. Stable diffusion also continues to make progress. Heading. Deepfake town and botpocalypse soon. Latest entry into real-time, speech-to-speech, low-latency translation that preserves speaker voice and expressions, this time from Meta. This ability once good enough, I do not know whose versions are there yet, or whose is best, is obviously super awesome, with uses that extend well beyond simple language translation. Note that if you can do this, you can also do various forms of deep fakery, including in real time. The underlying technology is the same. A claim of having faked the Q asterisk letter, in order to force OpenAI to be more transparent. The person thinks what they did was right. It is odd to me how much tech and hacker people who favor transparency think that lying and fraud are acceptable in the name of that cause. They are wrong. Heading. Digi Relic Digi. Version 1.0 of Digi.ai, claiming to be the future of AI romance companionship. They clarify it is currently in de facto prototype mode. They say they are funded by angels and the team, so still relatively small. Quote. Andrew. We worked closely with at Andrew Gurdnell 7, designed Mike Wazowski, and Leo Sanchez, designed Rapunzel Entangled, to make a unique style that eliminates the uncanny valley, while also feeling real, human, and sexy. This has never been done before with Disney or Pixar characters, so we're very excited we could make it work for the first time in history. End quote. In particular, they claim it looks like this. There's an image here in the text. Animations and movements look smooth in the demo. There's no claim they know how to sync up movements to voice yet, they say even lip sync is only coming soon. Quote. 2. Voice and latency. It was clear from testing how important voice is, but since our message counts are so high, apps like us can't afford any existing solutions. So. We rolled our own audio model. Listen to how good this is, while there's still low-hanging fruit in pronunciation and static, model is still training the latency more than makes up for it. We can make conversations real-time and add hundreds of voices, and voice cloning. In the interest of time, we have four voices in total, but expect 20 by end of January. End quote. The clip they share sounded exactly the way I would expect it to sound, for better and worse. It's not bad, especially if latency in practice is good. Except wait. It turns out it doesn't look or sound like that at all. It actually looks like this, and the latency is not good, nor is the content, for this particular report. There's an image here in the text. That's advertising for you. They did a great job bluffing something impressive, but believable. Instead, this does not even sound state-of-the-art. From what I saw, we do not know what LLM they are using for their content. Presumably it is one that is cheap and open-sourced. I saw this thread saying this was a good test for an LLM but the thread did not mention which ones people were using and I am not about to browse for Chan. Quote. Anton. Just literally try the models yourself, because everyone is pushing benchmark scores pretty heavily now as marketing. Cash. I browse for Chan and see which ones they're using as a base for their simulated girlfriends. No other benchmark is as good as this. Danielle Fong. You could call this an intelligence test. Emmett Shear. Oh god fine yes have a like f asterisk asterisk asterisk. End quote. But let's see what else they have in mind for the future. Quote. 
3. AI Backstories and Customization It was clear from the get-go that users didn't know what their digi name should be, their age, etc. We found a mix of character.ai with replica.ai to be the best solution, where you can find who or what you like, but still customize features to fit your matching type. Hair, skin, lips, eyes, eyebrows, etc. are all customizable, and we'll be adding more hairstyles, face shapes, etc. very soon. End quote. Makes sense as a first approach to copy what exists. There will of course be no problem getting whatever physical features you want in even the short term, increasing in detail and convenience over time. How many people will choose to copy a particular person? How often will it be someone they know versus a celebrity? At what point will people worry this constitutes a deep fake or a violation of privacy? Quote. 4. Relationship progression. Replica's level system doesn't work. They don't mean anything, and there's no actual progress being made when you advance. So we instead have a progression system, where you start as friends and gain more intimate dialogue as you progress. End quote. Previous version of number go up did not work, so they made a superior number go up that they think works better. In real life this kind of gradual progression is common but very much not universal. No doubt there will be demand for the ability to move faster, both in a realistic way and by fiat, which will presumably often be a paid feature. Or perhaps that breaks the format so you don't want to allow it even though it happens in reality. I continue to expect a lot of demand for more realistic experiences that will serve as ways to get practice and acquire skills whether or not that was what the user had in mind. Easy mode is fun at first but soon loses its luster. It is boring. One way or another there will be challenges. Reactions were universally negative. Everyone assumes this is a bad thing. Quote. Rob Henderson. My strong suspicion is the people who are building this app will strongly discourage their 12-year-old sons from using it while they actively promote it to everyone else's kids. End quote. How principled need one be here? Quote. Profoundly. If you are a diehard tech libertarian, you necessarily must be okay with this. Many responses, effectively. Yes. Matt. Nope, quotes thread below. End quote. The quoted statement below by Beth Jezos is bleak but it is a more positive reaction than anything I saw other than in replies to profoundly, no matter which way Jezos intended it. Quote. Daedalus. Oh, Daedalus, your credit card was declined and I no longer love you. There's an image here in the text. Beth Jezos, founder of EACC. The techno-capitalist machine finds a way to increase its growth. Including hacking your neurochemistry. Only those anti-fragile to neurochemical subversion will resist. Profoundly. Beware of the unfettered technological growth is inherently good for humanity, to this only hurts you if you're weak, pipeline. End quote. Unless perhaps peak optimism was this exchange with Noah Smith? Quote. Noah Smith. Think about the type of guy who considers a Disney cartoon voiced by a shoggoth to be a replacement for a human girlfriend and then tell me if you're really upset that that guy is removing himself from the dating pool. Shoshana Weissman. YKW. We cool. End quote. I wonder how reactions will change when people realize, or are reminded, that actually AI boyfriends are in higher demand than AI girlfriends, at least at current tech levels. A fun game was things the AI might say.
The question is, to me, will it be challenges that mimic real life, with or without options like a perhaps not free rewind button? In ways that help us grow, will it leverage this in ways that are otherwise good clean, or dirty, fun and educational and exciting? Or will the challenge be dodging attempts to addict and upscale you via predatory behaviors? Will good companions drive out bad, or will bad drive out good? I do think you can build this in a way that is positive and life-affirming. That does not mean anyone has tried. Quote. XLR8 Harder. I believe relationships with AI could conceivably be net good, but I don't think any of the people building companion AI at this point are the right people to achieve that outcome, nor are they even aiming at it. Basically, I assume all companion AI right now are basically exploitative until proven otherwise. End quote. Yep, at least for now. Is this because the tech is not yet good enough to be non-exploitative? Build an actually life-affirming, positive AI companion that was good enough and people would notice and tell each other, and you'd get YC-style hockey stick growth? Except for now we don't know how. It can get pretty bad out there. Quote. Lachlan Phillips. Back when I was toying with the idea of shipping one of these I very briefly made her get more anxious as your credits ran low. It was horrifying. I'll post more, but trust me, there be dragons. End quote. On the one hand, wow is that horrifying. On the other hand, I can confirm this is a realistic reaction by the person you are dating when your credits are running low. You can test this pretty easily on any given system by seeing if it will allow you to fail. One early report is that if you present as a schizo-racist Nazi, then it will play along. Which is a pretty clear sign that user failure is not an easy option. Might still be some work to do. Quote. 5. What's next? The initial goal was to build a 10x better replica, and we've succeeded. Now, how do we take this in-app experience, and make it almost identical to the video trailer? Lipsensing is coming soon, but there's a bigger problem with AI animation. How should the character should move if you don't know what they're going to say? This is done by hand in games, but is an unsolved problem in AIX animation. There's no ground to work off here. While it's easy to extract and predict animations for sad, angry, thinking etc., emotes don't make up most dialogue, nor solve the core problem. How do you make this feel like a real conversation with another being? TLDR. It's hard, but we believe we know how to solve this, and truly lead the way forward in AIX animation, and give games and movie studios ground to work off of here. Just need more time. End quote. The fact that Digi felt worth covering, and that its claims were by default credible, reflects the remarkably slow progress that has been made so far in this area. The competition is very not good right now. Consider this post by Zoe Strimple, what my AI boyfriend taught me about love, about an offering from Replica that costs $74 a year. In exchange you get what seems like, based on the description, a deeply, deeply boring experience. She tells the AI several times that it is boring, and thinks this makes her an abuser, but actually, she is simply speaking truth. Despite this, character.ai has a lot of users, and they are pretty obsessed. Quote. Simeon. Character AI, in three numbers. 1. 60% of users are 18 to 24 years old. 2. Users spend an average of 2H a day on the platform, 30 minutes per visit. 3. More than 20M registered users, roughly 5M monthly users. It's just the beginning. End quote. Indeed. The future is coming.
Heading. Going nuclear. You want paperwork. Oh, we'll give you paperwork. Quote. Andrew Curran. Microsoft is training a custom, narrow-focus LLM specifically on the regulatory process for small nuclear plants. They need to build SMRs to power Bing's brain. MS expects the LLM to eliminate 90% of the costs and human hours involved. The reason they are doing this is getting a small modular reactor design successfully approved by the NRC currently takes about a half a billion dollars, a 12,000-page application, and 2 million pages of support materials. Jason Crawford. But that will only eliminate the cost of preparing the report. You still have to pay the NRC for the time they spend reviewing your report, yes, really. Andrew Curran. Seems like the NRC needs a review LLM. End quote. The central barrier to building nuclear power is the regulatory process. The tech is well established, the need and demand clear, the price is right, it is highly green. AI cannot yet be used to improve nuclear power plant functionality. What AI can absolutely do is decrease paperwork costs. It turns out paperwork is indeed the limiting factor on nuclear power. Heading. Get involved. OpenAI offers $10 million in superalignment fast grants, $100,000 to $2 million for academic labs, nonprofits, and individual researchers, or $75,000 in stipend and $75,000 in compute for graduate students. No prior experience required, apply by February 18th. Thanks to OpenAI for stepping up and for using the AFAST grant system. Hopefully, we can refine and scale this strategy up more in the future. Your move, Google and Anthropic. UK's AI Safety Institute is hiring, need to be willing to move to London. AE Studios is interested in pursuing neglected approaches and are actively open to suggestions. Peter Wildford asks you to consider donations to rethink priorities. Not focused on AI, but reminder you can also consider donating to my 501c3, Balsa Research, currently focused on laying groundwork for Jones Act repeal. I think that helping our civilization stay sane and prosperous is vital to us dealing sanely with AI. For AI postdoc positions available at MIT. Heading. Follow the money. A 16Z builds up a $78 million, so far. Fairshake Super PAC. Mark Andreessen said this will be about one issue and that issue is technological progress. Let's see who is donating. Quote. Fairshake has support from Andreessen Horowitz Ark Brian Armstrong Blockchain Capital Wences Casores Circle Coinbase Ron Conway Cumberland Framework Ventures Hunter Horsley Jump Crypto Kraken. Lightspark. Messari. Multicoin Capital. Paradigm. Potter Ventures. Ripple. Fred Wilson. Cameron Winklevoss. Tyler Winklevoss. End quote. Wait a minute. By technological progress did you mean? Quote. Crypto and blockchain leaders amass $78 million for Fairshake Super PAC, 
and its affiliates to support pro-innovation and pro-crypto leadership going into 2024 congressional elections. Cedixon.f. There is a battle in Washington about the future of blockchain technologies. Certain policymakers believe it should be banned, while other people think it should have no guardrails. Neither of those options will allow the technology to reach its full potential, and realign the future of the internet away from big tech to the people who use it. There are two parts to this, coalition building and raising funds to support the cause. That is what this pack is all about, bringing together responsible actors in Web3 and crypto to help advance clear rules of the road that will support American innovation, while holding bad actors to account. End quote. Yeah. There is one issue they care about. That issue is crypto. So no push for fusion power or new medical technologies, also no push to destroy the world as quickly as possible. All in on talking their book and making number go up. Which is totally 100% fine with me. Go nuts, everyone. I am skeptical of your Web3 project, but will happily defend your right to offer it. If the people want crypto, and it seems some of them continue to do so, the government shouldn't stand in their way. I am confident almost all of those warning about existential risk agree on this. A good portion of us even have sizable crypto investments. Leave AI out of it and we're good. How much else of all the nonsense was always really about crypto? Heading. Introducing. A novel structural class of antibiotics. Note both the techniques used, and also the date. This was submitted to Nature on January 5, 2022. That's almost two years ago. Our scientific review process is insanely slow. Think of the value on the table here. Here's the abstract. Quote. The discovery of novel structural classes of antibiotics is urgently needed to address the ongoing antibiotic resistance. Crisis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Deep learning approaches have aided in exploring chemical spaces 1, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. These typically use black box models and do not provide chemical insights. Here we reasoned that the chemical substructures associated with antibiotic activity learned by neural network models can be identified and used to predict structural classes of antibiotics. We tested this hypothesis by developing an explainable, substructure-based approach for the efficient, deep learning-guided exploration of chemical spaces. We determined the antibiotic activities and human cell cytotoxicity profiles of 39,312 compounds, and applied ensembles of graph neural networks to predict antibiotic activity and cytotoxicity for 12,076,365 compounds. Using explainable graph algorithms, we identified substructure-based rationales for compounds with high predicted antibiotic activity and low predicted cytotoxicity. We empirically tested 283 compounds, and found that compounds exhibiting antibiotic activity against Staphylococcus aureus were enriched in putative structural classes arising from rationales. Of these structural classes of compounds, one is selective against methicillin-resistant S. aureus, MRSA, and vancomycin-resistant enterococci, evade substantial resistance and reduces bacterial titers in mouse models of MRSA skin and systemic thigh infection. Our approach enables the deep learning-guided discovery of structural classes of antibiotics, and demonstrates that machine learning models in drug discovery can be explainable, providing insights into the chemical substructures that underlie selective antibiotic activity. End quote. This is excellent news, in that it uses techniques with very nice properties, 
and also we could really use a new class of antibiotics right about now. It is also obviously both exciting and scary news in terms of capabilities and the ability of AI to advance STEM progress. DeepMind introduces Fun Search. Alas, no, not search over fun, it stands for function. Still cool. They say it has actually solved, or at least made progress on, open problems, in particular the cap set problem and bin packing, which for LLMs is the first time this has happened. Quote. FunSearch, Nature Paper, uses an evolutionary approach to find the fittest ideas, which are expressed as computer programs to be run and evaluated automatically. An iterative procedure allows the LLM to suggest improvements to programs while the evaluator discards bad ones. We pushed the boundary of this simple method to discover new results for hard open problems in mathematics and computer science. FunSearch doesn't only find solutions, it outputs programs that describe how to build those solutions. The capset problem is akin to finding the largest set of points, called a capset, in a high-dimensional grid where no three points lie on a line. FunSearch created state-of-the-art programs which discovered capsets that are larger than previously known. The bin packing problem looks at how to pack items into the least amount of bins. It has many practical applications like allocating compute jobs in data centers to minimize costs. FunSearch tailors programs to the specifics of the data, outperforming established approaches. FunSearch marks the first time an LLM has been used to generate new knowledge in the mathematical sciences realm. It could even be applied to improve algorithms used in manufacturing, optimizing logistics, reducing energy consumption, and more. End quote. It has some nice properties. Quote. From their post, FunSearch favors finding solutions represented by highly compact programs, solutions with a low Kolmogorov complexity. Short programs can describe very large objects, allowing FunSearch to scale to large needle in a haystack problems. Moreover, this makes FunSearch's program outputs easier for researchers to comprehend. From the abstract, in contrast to most computer search approaches, FunSearch searches for programs that describe how to solve a problem rather than what the solution is. Beyond being an effective and scalable strategy, discovered programs tend to be more interpretable than raw solutions, enabling feedback loops between domain experts and fund search, and the deployment of such programs in real-world applications. End quote. MIT Technology Review has coverage as well. The naturally high level of interpretability and flexibility is great, as is getting the actual solutions to problems like this. Us humans looking at the solutions might be able to improve them further or learn a thing or two, and also perhaps verify that everything is on the level. Good show. Also, the whole thing working, especially despite being based off of Palm 2, is scary as hell if you think about the implications. But hey. Heading. In other AI news. Anthropic provides expanded copyright indemnification and makes refinement to its API to help catch mistakes via the new messages API. They aim to add richer structure to the API to lay groundwork for future features. Anthropic also in talks to raise another $750 million at a valuation of $15 billion to more than $18 billion. OpenAI suspends ByteDance account after reports that ByteDance is using the API, mostly through Azure, to train their own model. This should come as a surprise to absolutely no one. Quote. Alex Heath.
OpenAI and Microsoft say it's against their rules to use their GPT APIs to build a competing AI model. It turns out that ByteDance has been doing exactly that to build its own LLM in China. As a person with first-hand knowledge of the situation put it, they say they want to make sure everything is legal, but they really just don't want to get caught. More here on ByteDance secretive project seed here. Nevertheless, internal ByteDance documents shared with me confirm that the OpenAI API has been relied on to develop its foundational LLM, codenamed Project Seed, during nearly every phase of development, including for training and evaluating the model. End quote. Given how many checks are done before giving someone API access, essentially none, and how often they seem to check to see if someone is doing this even for large accounts, essentially never. It does not seem like they care enough to actually stop this. Sure, if you are caught by the press, they will make it mildly annoying, but it is not like ByteDance can't get another account. This is of course rather rich given how OpenAI, and everyone else, trained their models in the first place. Quote. Chomba Bup. I think Microsoft and OpenAI forgot something. Writers and artists say it's against the rules to use their copyrighted content to build a competing AI model. End quote. Mixtral offering their API for free while supplies last. I presume they must have some controls to prevent this from getting completely out of hand. But then again, movie pass. Paper from Google claims you can use self-improvement, source, via iterated synthetic data on reasoning steps to distill an agent LLM tasked with searching for information to distill, into paragraph-long answers into a two orders of magnitude smaller model with comparable performance. This is a strange way to think about the affordances available. Presumably, the gains can be divided between improved capabilities and distillation into a smaller model, along a production possibilities frontier. The real action is in how far that frontier got pushed by the new technique. I also would hesitate to call this an agent as that seems likely to importantly mislead. Included for completeness, but highly ignorable. Quillette Sean Welsh covers the OpenAI story, gets many things very wrong about what happened and why, worse than the legacy media coverage, with no new information. Ends with a dismissal of existential risk on a pure, burden-of-proof basis and a normalcy bias, and an appeal to, but it will need robots and other such nonsense, without considering the actual arguments. Handy map of where chip export restrictions apply. There's an image here in the text. Heading. Quiet speculations. Ben Thompson on Google's true moonshot. Are they in prime AI position? I am inclined to continue to say yes, even with how much they have dropped the ball. Ray Kurzweil sticking to his guns on AGI 2029, which seems highly reasonable. What is weird is he is also sticking to his guns on Singularity 2045. Which also seems highly reasonable on its own, but if we get AGI 2029, what is taking 16 years in the meantime? Scott Aronson asks how he got his timelines for AI so wrong. His central conclusion? Quote. Scott Aronson. One must never use radical ignorance as an excuse to default, in practice, to the guess that everything will stay basically the same. Live long enough, and you see that year to year and decade to decade, everything doesn't stay the same, even though most days and weeks it seems to. End quote. Wise indeed. We see this all the time, people using radical uncertainty or other excuse to say, everything will almost certainly stay the same until proven otherwise, and thus ignoring the evidence that they won't. Meanwhile things are constantly changing on many fronts. Aronson is also super helpful in explaining where his p. 
Doom counting only an AI foom and excluding other risks even if AI might be involved, number came from. Quote. In case you're wondering, I arrived at my 2% figure via a rigorous Bayesian methodology, of taking the geometric mean of what my rationalist friends might consider to be sane, roughly 50%, and what all my other friends might consider to be sane, roughly 0.1% if you got them to entertain the question at all. Thereby ensuring that both camps would sneer at me equally. End quote. Taking a geometric mean to ensure equal sneering from both sides is a take. It is a strategy. It can have its uses. However, once you know that is where someone's prediction comes from, you can, almost entirely, disregard it. This is not Aronson bringing his expertise to bear and reaching a conclusion based on his model of how AI is likely to go. It is his social, and socially motivated, epistemology, based on data you already had. So ignore it and do your own work. Quote. Scott Aronson. I have a dark vision of humanity's final day, with the internet, or whatever succeeds it, full of think pieces like. Yes, we're all about to die. But don't blame AI, blame capitalism. Who decided to launch the missiles? Was it President Bobert, Kim Jong-un, or AdvisorBot 4? Why slowing down AI development wouldn't have helped? End quote. That sounds more like the output of Aronson attempting to model the future. Metaculus has 95% confidence that, for a definition that is weird but not obviously crazy, there will be human-machine intelligence parity before 2040. Manifold has this at 60% for 2030. Place your bets, or hit up Robin Hansen for more size. Slack Jiu-Jitsu? I'm going to learn Slack Jiu-Jitsu? Quote. Rune. Most people don't realize a major part of being a corporate executive is Slack Jiu-Jitsu. It's literally just maintaining state on a million ongoing threads and connecting person A to person B, to resolve dependency conflicts at an incredibly rapid pace. It's not at all easy but it is strangely machinic. I wonder when models will be able to offload some of this. It rewards cognitive functions like multiprocessing and incredibly good memory and people skills more than sheer intellect. Reminds me a lot of operating system CPU scheduling to be honest. Hardware interrupt when there's a new crisis and constant time switching costs and running out of memory for storing thread stacks. End quote. I can affirm, even though we were fortunate enough to not use Slack, that this skill was indeed a major portion of running a company. The context switching is insane. Can AI help? It could do so in a few different ways. 1. Evaluate when you need to respond quickly, so you can context switch less. Also could allow more deep work. 2. Group contexts such that you context switch less, such as automatically grouping emails and messages. 3. Provide key information to help you switch contexts smoothly. 4. Carry out the conversation without you, so you never have to switch at all. Presto! Rune compares AGI to other technological advancements. Quote. Rune. The invention of certain new technologies grants you a temporary monopoly like discovering a trillion-dollar gold mine. In the case of biotech it's generally government-enforced and in the case of internet giants it's network effect. This is what capital looks like. Thirty years after the initial discovery it's usually no longer relevant as a superior tech disrupts the whole industry. Once great IBM was commoditized by Microsoft. 
Google makes monopoly profits right up until an information technology better than search engines arises. A stagnant society is one where technology stops progressing and the previous generation of monopolies reap their profits forever, and their diffuse power over the world becomes corrupted. You'd look at a culture like that and want to destroy it so something fresh can arise. End quote. I think this depends on the degree of regulatory capture and the governance regime more generally. If technology stops advancing and you have a monopoly, that does not mean others cannot copy you. Even if others cannot discover what you discovered, the information can come from within, as it often does. Over a long enough time horizon any knowledge-based monopoly should fracture, even without technological advancement or economic growth. The exception is if power is preserving such monopolies and freezing things in place, in which case your civilization will decline over time as things become increasingly dysfunctional, eventually exhausting the ruin in the nation. Even if there are no barbarians to sack your Roman cities, eventually you lose effectiveness and then you lose control, similar to the Galactic Empire in Asimov's Foundation novels. If, as in the Foundation novels, there was no way to entirely stop the process, would you want to actively speed this along, or slow it down? Could go either way. Quote. Rune. The fear with AGI is that it's different than the era of technological capitalism that came before it that the dominant world controller of this quadrillion-dollar gold mine can self-improve till kingdom come, till the end of days. That the only potential threats would come from within and that it really could be mankind's final invention. If we pass the great filter of it eating us for atoms I'm sure it'll be a beautiful world, but stagnant at some level of abstraction. End quote. I worry about this as well. How much of what is truly valuable is the struggle, the working to be better? Hands, chip the flint, light the fire, skin the kill. What do we do in the long run, once there truly is nothing new under the sun, and there are no worlds left to conquer? Can we begin again? It might be beautiful, but how does it all still have meaning? I don't know. I do know that is the problem I want us to face. Quote. This is one of the many reasons why it's important to solve the governance of superintelligence now while greater powers still exist that not only wealth is distributed, but governance. That we allow enough chaos alongside the order. The events of the last month shook my theology to its core. End quote. This is a very good shaking to the core. I was not newly shaken to the core in the same way, but only because I already was aware of the problems involved and had been shaken to the core previously. So yes, on top of the impossibly hard technical problems, we have to solve governance of superintelligence. I do not know the right answer, or even the least wrong answer. I do know that effectively giving a superintelligence to whoever wants one with no controls on it, and hoping for the best is incorrect. That is a very wrong answer, and gets us reliably eaten for our atoms. Andrew Critch makes another attempt to explain that we must solve the AI governance problem in addition to the AI alignment problem. If we get AIs to do what we tell them to do, but cannot agree on a good way to decide what instructions to give those AIs or who gets to give them what instructions, then it will end quite poorly, in ways his post if anything downplays. Heading. The quest for sane regulations. It seems every week we get a new poll confirming what the public thinks about AI. Quote. Daniel Colson. One Politico released new polling from AIPI today. Our latest numbers, Politico, top lines. Crossstabs. 
64% say the US needs similar regulations to those in the EU AI Act to impose testing requirements for powerful, foundational models, prioritizing safety over speed. Additionally, 73% agree that the United States is a leader in the technology sector, and that's why it should be a leader in setting the rules for AI. 53% say stability AI should be held liable for the role its model stable diffusion has played in generating fake, non-consensual pornographic images of real people, while 26% say that only the individuals producing the images should be held responsible. 80% say Sports Illustrated's use of AI-generated articles and reporter profiles should be illegal, and 84% of respondents say this practice is unethical. 65% support policy that requires companies to disclose and watermark content created by AI, with 46% in strong support. 68% of respondents are concerned that AI could be used by bad actors to create bioweapons. 67% support requiring testing and evaluation of all AI models to make sure that they can not be used to create biological weapons before they are released. More generally, 83% agree that the federal government should make sure that research experiments using dangerous viruses are conducted safely by requiring that the scientists who conduct the experiments adhere to certain oversight protocols. 81% agree that entities that fund scientific research should be prevented from funding experiments that make viruses more dangerous. 64% support the government creating an emergency response capacity to shut down the most risky AI research if it is deemed necessary. Just 16% oppose doing so. Americans overwhelming believe that the government needs to set sensible rules for how AI is integrated into society. People want to know if they are reading robo-journalism. People don't want there to be fake nudes of every woman with an Instagram. End quote. The top lines are consistently brutal throughout. The pro-regulation, pro-liability, shady AI use is unethical and should not be legal options enjoy strong majorities on every question. As always, such polls do not indicate that the issues involved are salient to the public. Nor do they represent an appreciation by the public of accurate threat models or the sources of existential risk. What they do show is a very consistent, very strong preference to hold those creating and deploying AIs responsible for the consequences, a worry about what AI might do in the future, and support for government stepping in to keep the situation under control. How hard would it be to stop AI development? Eliezer Yudkowsky thinks that, if you could get China on board, this would be super doable, easier than the 1991 Gulf War, and he notes China has not shown itself unfriendly on potential limitations. He's actually worried more about getting Europe on board. In his model they like to regulate things but hard to get to take such problems properly seriously. Marietta Skake writes in Foreign Affairs, The Premature Quest for International AI Cooperation. Regulation, the Post says, must start with national governments. For some things I do not disagree, but the whole point of international cooperation is that there are things that only work or make sense, or are incentive compatible on an international scale. On other fronts, I agree that nations should use this opportunity to innovate on their own first, then coordinate later. The post continues in similar mixed bag vein throughout. This is presumably because the author lacks a model of what transformational AI would actually do or what dynamics will likely be involved, including but not limited to issues of existential risk. Once again, events at OpenAI are presented in what we now know to be an entirely fictional way. Assuming it must have been about safety because the vibes point in that direction, buying propaganda without checking the facts. Quote.
The recent fiasco at OpenAI is a case in point. The board of directors clash with the executive leadership over the societal effect of the company's product showcased the fragility of in-house mechanisms to manage the risks of AI. End quote. Once again, no. That was very much not what happened. But in the minds of those who cannot imagine any set of motives but the usual cynical ones, the actual situation is a can't happen, so they continue to assume their conclusions, with logic like this. Quote. Establishing institutions that will set norms and standards and monitor compliance without pushing for national and international rules at the same time is naive at best and deliberately self-serving at worst. The chorus of corporate voices backing non-binding initiatives supports the latter interpretation. Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, has echoed the call for an IAEA for AI and has warned of AI's existential risks even as his company disseminates the same technology to the public. End quote. The idea that Altman or others building the future could be entirely sincere in not wanting everyone to die, rather than all involved always aiming to maximize profits and everything else be damned, either simply does not occur to such people, or is ignored as inconvenient. If they support something, it must be a plot. Of course, without any rules to enforce, nothing else matters. But Altman would happily agree to that if asked. I do not know of anyone saying there should be an IAEA for AI instead of rules. What they are saying is it is necessary in addition to rules. Whereas those who oppose an IAEA for AI and other similar proposals mostly do not want rules of any kind regarding AI, at any level. Indeed, there is direct advocacy here for doing active. Harm. Quote. For one, oversight bodies must be able to enforce antitrust, non-discrimination, and intellectual property laws that are already on the books. End quote. That's right on two out of three, non-discrimination and intellectual property laws seem like good things to enforce. Ideally they and many other laws will be intelligently adjusted so they make sense in their new context. But antitrust laws, in the context of AI, are very much a way to get us all killed. Antitrust is perhaps the best litmus test to see if someone is actually thinking about the real situation and the real threats we will face. Antitrust laws, if fully enforced in context, would outright require each company to race against the others to advance capabilities as quickly as possible, with little regard to safety or the existential risks that imposes upon the world as an externality. They would be unable to agree to slow down, or to agree upon safety standards, or to block out socially harmful use cases, or anything else. One of the things we urgently need are explicit antitrust waivers, so anthropic, Google and OpenAI can make such pro-social agreements without worrying about their legal risk. OpenAI has an excellent merge and assist clause, where if another lab is sufficiently ahead in creating AGI, they would then aid that other lab in ensuring that AGI was created safely, and stop their own development so there was no pressure to deploy AGI prematurely. I urge Anthropic and others to also adapt this clause. Others would instead have the government step in to forcibly stop OpenAI from doing this, in a way that would substantially raise the probability we all die. Both right away as an unsafe AGI is deployed, and also over time as the distribution of AGIs that are individually safe cannot be contained, resulting in dynamics that we cannot survive. That is crazy. Stop it. Most of the other practical proposals here seem fine. There is a good note that the EU exempting its militaries from its AI regulations weakens their position. The first concrete proposals advocated for that AI being identifiable 
and its role disclosed when it is used in various key decisions, enjoy very strong support across the board. So does the call to limit AI-enabled weapons. That the next proposal involves concern over disclosure of the water, and electricity usage shows how non-seriously such very serious people approach thinking about their prioritization and threat models. I have no particular issue with such a requirement, it sounds cheap and mostly harmless, but this is so completely missing the point. Which is exactly what happens when one moves to regulate AI without even noticing the possibility of catastrophic, or existential risks. Heading. The week in audio. My 21-minute AI-related discussion on the humans of magic. The rest the three hours is about magic, and was a lot of fun. Also, my appearance on Clearer Thinking with Spencer Greenberg sees the light of day. Vivek Ramaswamy asked how he feels about AI, five minutes. Says the big danger is our reaction to AI. He worries about people treating AI answers like an AI line judge, and accepting the answers as more authoritative than they are. Calls for a revival of faith, both to deal with AI and for other reasons. In terms of policy, he calls for AI algorithms not to interface broadly with kids. Says we should not ban anything China is not also willing to ban, but we should put liability on companies. Heading. Rhetorical innovation. Potential armor-piercing question. Quote. Rune. How is that a concept of AGI any more or less siffy than the concept of unsafe or misaligned AGI? End quote. Exactly. If you don't believe in the possibility of unsafe AGI, you don't believe in AGI. I think not believing in AGI is wrong, but it is not as crazy a thing to not believe in. Actually, let's take it a step further. Quote. Arthur B. People who imagine an AGI that integrates in human society as just another innovation, and doesn't bootstrap into an ASI precipitating a singularity have read too much sci-fi. It doesn't really make sense as a scenario, but it makes for better fiction and that's where they draw their intuition from. End quote. Again, exactly. The actual science fiction scenario is, we have AI, or the capacity to have AI. And we continue to mostly tell human stories about humans and the same things humans have always cared about, despite this not making any sense. Nora Belrose believes that if AGI is developed, it is 99% likely that humans will stay alive and in control indefinitely. She is also one of the few people who says this because of reasons, actual arguments, rather than vibes, innumeracy, motivated reasoning or talking one's book or plain old lying and rhetoric. Quote. Nora Bellrose, let's focus on today's problems, not hypothetical future ones, is the worst counter to existential risk arguments. You could analogously argue against climate change mitigation and a host of other future-oriented concerns. Let's actually assess the likelihood of AI apocalypse. I've heard this argument a lot recently, and it annoys me because there actually are good arguments to the effect that AI apocalypse is very unlikely, at any point in the future, not just in the next few years. But people aren't using these good arguments. End quote. Link goes to her arguments. I do not think they are good arguments. But at least some of them are indeed actual arguments. I strongly believe she is wrong, but at minimum she has the high honor of being wrong, whereas the people she speaks of are not even wrong. Whereas Andrew Ng is the latest person to prominently do exactly what Nora Bellrose is complaining about asking why we would worry so much about hypothetical problems instead of problems that are already present, 
when considering the consequences of a not yet present, but clearly transformational, hypothetical, technology of AGI or ASI. Stephen Burns offered a definitive response, illustrating the fallacy by analyzing the example of the risks from nuclear war and what kinds of prevention we should do. Rob Bensinger goes back and forth more with Bology. Potential Bology Yudkowsky podcast might result which is definitely strategic popcorn reserve worthy. It was a great thread, emphasizing that underlying strong rhetorical disagreement are two very similar positions, and which path forward constitutes the least bad option in context. Are we desperate enough, and are the problems involved hard enough to otherwise solve in time, that we need to use government intervention despite all its flaws? Or is there, as Bology thinks, essentially zero chance of that helping, so we should take our chances with technical work, which he also finds more promising so far than Bensinger does. Always interesting what is and isn't considered clearly false. Quote. Richard Ngo, OpenAI, LLMs, are just doing next token prediction without any understanding, is by now so clearly false it's no longer worth debating. The next version will be, LLMs, are just tools, and lack any intentions or goals, which we'll continue hearing until well after it's clearly false. This tweet brought to you by NewRips getting me out of my normal bubble, and actually engaging with the, just next token prediction, and, just tools, people for the first time in a while. Always fun discussions, but I really don't know how to make them productive at this point. Rohit, just, is the truly objectionable part there I think. End quote. I am indeed rather certain that Richard Ngo is right about this. Alas, this was the exception that highlights what the rule has been recently. Quote. Jeffrey Ladish. I'm pretty sad about the state of AI discourse right now. I see a lot of movement from object-level discussions of risk to meta-level social discourse on who is talking about risks and why. For example, the EAs are trying to do X, the EIACs are trying to do Y. Overall this sucks. The meta-level discussions can be useful but we absolutely must not let them replace the object-level discussion. We need to figure out how to get through this insane mostly human cognition to mostly AI cognition transition. EA and EACC and the rest don't matter compared to this. It's hard to tell how much is my filter bubble, but I feel like since the OpenAI board stuff, I've seen a large shift towards articles, tweets, etc. about tribes and political coalitions, and less about AGI, threat models, alignment, actual analysis of AI risks and benefits. End quote. I have experienced the same. It has been stressful and unproductive. Such discussions would be fine if they were complemented by grounded practical questions and gained sophistication with time and iteration, but they mostly lack both such traits. Everyone in politics knows how this goes. When the coverage is all about the horse race and who is saying what about whom, nothing of substance is discussed, those with the better ideas have no advantage, and nothing important ever changes. Rest of the thread is pointing out real questions. Normally I wouldn't quote the rest, but I feel bad about cutting off such a thread right before its concrete questions, so. Quote. Jeffrey Ladish. So a reminder. We still don't have good evals for assessing how capable a dangerous an AI system is. We still don't have any national or international plan for governing superhuman AI systems. We don't have robust ways to secure model weights. We have no ability to coordinate shutdowns of systems which risk large-scale catastrophes. We haven't come close to solving interpretability of LLMs. We have no way to prevent people with model weight access from fine-tuning away guardrails. 
we don't have any plan that addresses commercial incentives to race, or national incentives to race. We have no agreed-upon point where we'd pause to double down on alignment and security. We could get RSI-capable AGI tomorrow and have no way to prevent an intelligence explosion. Thread continues. End quote. I do think we have passed at least a local, peak partisanship, on this. It remains bad. One trope on the rise is to disingenuously label those who worry about AI as opposed to technology, and technological progress in general. We once again remind everyone that the opposite is true. Those who warn about existential risk from AI are mostly highly pro-technology in almost every other, non-military and non-virus gain-of-function or engineered pandemic, area. The people who actually oppose technological progress are mostly busy trying to destroy our civilization elsewhere, because they mostly do not believe in AGI in the first place. There are of course those who are genuinely confused about this, but all the usual suspects very much know better. Make no mistake. The prominent voices who repeat such claims are lying, straight up. Emmett Shear breaks down in a good post his view of the various views around AI and whether to regulate it, structured around his 2 by 2 There's an image here in the text. He puts Andreessen and many others calling themselves techno-optimists into what he calls the techno-pessimist camp in the upper left, in the sense that they do not think AI will be capable enough to be dangerous. They are optimistic about outcomes, because they are pessimistic about AI capability advances. If you never think AI will get to dangerous threshold X, there is no need to guard against X by slowing down development. Shear's model of the rise of association with E, ACC is that a bunch of generically pro-technology people are taking on the label without knowing what it previously meant. Politics has a history of people doing that, then being various degrees of horrified, or in other cases going with it when someone points out what it means to have skulls on your uniforms. Patry Friedman and Liv Bowery correctly say, EA optimism and EA technological progress, but this E, ACC thing is instead some combination of obvious nonsense about how no technology can ever turn out badly, and misrepresenting then attacking supposed enemies, who are for progress but are not blind to all potential downsides. The Free Press's Julia Steinberg writes a post, included for completeness, that is deeply confused about EACC, deeply confused about EA, and deeply confused about what happened at OpenAI. Mark Andreessen chooses who he considers a worthy opponent, and what he wants us to consider the alternative to his vision, linking to Curtis Yarvin's A Techno-Pessimist Manifesto. I checked, and it is not relevant to our interests, nor does it meaningfully grapple with what technology or AI might actually do in the future. Instead, he focuses on what technological advance tends to do to the human spirit and our ability to maintain the will to keep a civilization. Yavin says Yavin things. What a strange alternative rhetorical universe. Heading. Aligning a smarter-than-human intelligence is difficult. OpenAI presents a paper, weak to strong generalization. It looks like they are serious about their primary plan being, find ways for weaker systems to supervise stronger systems. Quote. A core challenge for aligning future superhuman AI systems, superalignment, is that humans will need to supervise AI systems much smarter than them. We study a simple analogy. Can small models supervise large models? We show that we can use a GPT-2 level model to elicit most of GPT-4's capabilities, close to GPT-3.5 level performance, generalizing correctly even to hard problems where the small model failed. Jan Leica for lots of important tasks we don't have ground truth supervision. Is this statement true? Is this code buggy? 
We want to elicit the strong model's capabilities on these tasks without access to ground truth. This is pretty central to aligning superhuman models. We find that large models generally do better than their weak supervisor, a smaller model, but not by much. This suggests reward models won't be much better than their human supervisors. In other words, RLHF won't scale. But even our simple technique can significantly improve weak to strong generalization. This is great news. We can make measurable progress on this problem today. I believe more progress in this direction will help us align superhuman models. End quote. There's an image here in the text. Eliezer asked a qualifying question, and one logistical one, and offers thoughts. Quote. Eliezer Yadkowski. Have I correctly understood the paper that your strong students aren't being trained from scratch, but are rather pre-trained models being tuned on the weak supervisor labels? Jan Leica. Yes. End quote. So what are we actually doing? Quote. For a given task of interest, consisting of a dataset and a performance metric, we 1. Create the weak supervisor. Throughout most of this work, we create weak supervisors by fine-tuning small pre-trained models on ground truth labels. Point 3 we call the performance of the weak supervisor the weak performance, and we generate weak labels by taking the weak model's predictions on a held-out set of examples. 2. Train a strong student model with weak supervision. We fine-tune a strong model with the generated weak labels. We call this model the strong student model and its resulting performance the weak to strong performance. 3. Train a strong model with ground truth labels as a ceiling. Finally, for comparison, we fine-tune a strong model with ground truth labels. We call this model's resulting performance the strong ceiling performance. Intuitively, this should correspond to everything the strong model knows, that is the strong model applying its full capabilities to the task. Advantages Our setup has a number of advantages, including 1. It can be studied with any pair of weak and strong models, making it easy to study scaling laws and not requiring access to expensive state-of-the-art models. Moreover, it does not require working with humans, so feedback loops are fast. 2. It can be studied for any task of interest, making it easy to empirically test across a wide range of settings. 3. Success will be practically useful even before we develop superhuman models. For example, if we find ways to align GPT-4 with only weak human supervision or with only GPT-3, level supervision, that would make it more convenient to align models today. End quote. There's an image here in the text. Quote. EY quotes from paper, P8. In general, across all our settings, we observe weak to strong generalization. Strong students consistently outperform their weak supervisors. It is not obvious why this should happen at all. End quote. It is good to notice when one is confused, but I am confused about why the paper confused here. Quote. Eliezer Yadkowski. I'd consider it obvious and am reasonably sure I'd have said so in advance if asked in advance. For example if in your setup the weak supervisor is the true signal plus random noise, the strong supervisor makes a probabilistic prediction, and the scorer takes the most probable label as the strong supervisor's output, then obviously, in that exact setup, you're going to get the strong student outperforming the weak supervisor and possibly performing perfectly. End quote. As I understand the setup here, degree of improvement is hard to predict, my jaw would be on the floor on any substantially different result. 
My understanding, after asking around, is that indeed the results of this paper are not impressive, and should not cause a substantial update in any direction. But that was not the point of doing the experiment and writing the paper. The point instead was to show a practical example of this form of amplification, given previous descriptions were so abstract, in order to enable others, or themselves, to pick up that ball and do something else that is more exciting, with higher value of information. To what extent setups of this type can in practice preserve nice features, both in alignment and other capabilities, and how much those results will then generalize and survive out of distribution as capabilities of the underlying systems scale higher, is a key question. If we can get nice enough properties, we can do various forms of amplification, and the sky is the limit. I am deeply skeptical we can get such properties where it matters. Some others are more hopeful. So I now see why the paper exists. I am not unhappy the paper exists, so long as people do not treat it as something that it is not. OpenAI and Yoshavit propose seven governance mechanisms for agentic AI systems, and launch an agentic AI research grant program if you want to help make them safe. Quote. Yoshavit. First, some background. Some people think we need to impose laws on AI top-down. But there will be many, many parties deploying AI agents. It'd be much easier if we agreed on norms from the bottom up on how to safely deploy agents, that could be enforced in a decentralized way. End quote. This must be some strange use of the word easier. Yes, it would be first best if we all agreed on norms from the bottom up that could be enforced in a decentralized way. But easier? How would we do that? Quote. It all comes down to which humans are responsible for an agent's harm. The trouble is, when an AI agent takes a harmful action IRL, there's usually more than one party that could have prevented that harm. See an example in the screenshot. The solution is to define best practices for every party in the agent life cycle, including the model developer, system deployer, and user. Then, when a harm occurs, we can find out who failed to follow the best practice and hold them responsible. The practices we list are intentionally pretty obvious. We want them to be things we can all agree on, so much so that asterisk not asterisk doing them becomes frowned upon. End quote. That sounds like a liability regime without the liability. You are holding someone responsible. If all you do is frown, admonish them and tell them to feel bad about it, that's not going to cut it. Quote. That said, there are a lot of open questions. We spend the bulk of the paper flagging QS we need help on. We're launching a program of $10,000 to $100,000 grants to support research on agentic AI governance. Best practices. Please apply. End quote. Good best practices are still highly useful. What have we got? Quote. 1. The system deployer or user can pretest the agentic AI system to confirm it's sufficiently capable and reliable for the task. Agent reliability assessments are an unsolved challenge. We need research on methods. 2. The system deployer can require user approval before the agent takes high-consequence actions, like large purchases, or restrict certain actions entirely. Keeping a human in the loop is an old idea, though there are new agentic AI-specific implementation QS. 3. The model developer or system deployer can imbue the agent with default behaviors, like asking for clarification from the user when it's uncertain. What default behaviors should be made standard, and raise flags if they aren't present? 
4. For language-based agents, the system deployer can expose the agent's reasoning, its chain of thought, to the user, to check the agent's logic and whether it went off the rails. Does this always reflect agents' real reasoning? Need more work on this. 5. The system deployer can create a second monitoring AI to keep watch that the first agent doesn't go off the rails, especially when a human doesn't have time to read through all the agent's thoughts or actions. What if the second AI fails too? Need best practices on AI monitoring. 6. The system deployer can make high-stakes agents traceable by provide a signed cert when starting interactions WA third party, so that if they cause harm, the third party can trace the harm back to the user. OBV not always, sometimes privacy calls for anonymized agents. 7. Everyone, the user, deployer, model developer, etc., can make sure that the agent can always be turned off by retaining a graceful fallback. The preserving shutdown ability problem is way trickier than people think. IMO this might end up being a new AIENG subfield. End quote. These all certainly seem like valid desideratum. As noted, many are not things we know how to get in an effective way. Problems pinning down what exactly is even needed, let alone how to get it, extend throughout. The off-switch problem is, as noted and to put it mildly, way trickier than people think. Even if we got all of it in strong form, it is not obvious it would be sufficient. A key issue is that a lot of this boils down to human supervises the agent and is in the loop, which is good but something we will actively want to remove for efficiency reasons exactly when this should worry everyone. A supervising AI is faster, but it risks begging the question and missing the point, and also subversion or failing in correlated ways. You have to start somewhere. This does give us better opportunity to say things. But overall, I'd say this paper doesn't say much, and when it does, it doesn't say much. Jan Leiker offers a post with further explanation of what they have in mind. The idea is to combine weak-to-strong generalization, W2SG, with scalable oversight and other alignment techniques. This example feels enlightening, in the sense that it isn't obviously doomed. Quote. Jan Leiker. For example, we might want to get the large model to tell us the truth on difficult questions that we don't know the answer to, so we train it to generalize the concept, truth, from a set of other questions that humans can answer, even if their answers are generally lower accuracy than what the large model could produce itself. End quote. The catch, in my model, is that you need to choose a set of questions where you are damn sure you know the truthful responses, and where it is clear that there is no alternative hypothesis for why the truthful answers are being approved. If you do that with a rich enough data set, then yes, I do think that the concept will generalize. However, if you let even a little bit of error slip into your data set, where you are fooling yourself, then it will generalize to a similar but different concept such as what the grading system think is right when it sees it, that will increasingly diverge from truth out of distribution. I do not think such errors are self-correcting. I do not think you should count on the AI to pick up the spirit, my term not his, of what you have in mind in a robust way. Thus, when I see something like this, I am much less hopeful. Quote. Debate plus W2SG. We make a dataset of human judgments on debates, but instead of training our debate agents on this dataset directly, we apply our best W2SG technique to train our most powerful model to generalize the judgments from this dataset to new debates. End quote. I think what you get here if you ramp up capabilities is something that can win debates as judged by humans and predict what would win such debates. I do not think that is what Jan Leiker had in mind. 
I expect essentially the same problem with any realistic set of human feedback. Essentially, I do not think generalizations work the way this technique wants them to. And I still think assuming evaluation is easier than generation is incorrect, and wish I had figured out how to explain myself more convincingly on that. I do appreciate the highlighting of the get it right on the first try problem. Quote. One unappealing aspect of W2SG is that when we actually apply it to tasks we can't evaluate, and don't have ground truth for, we are to some extent taking a leap of faith on generalization. We might have all kinds of empirical data on how it works in other settings, and we might still be able to check in some rare cases using extremely expensive evaluation procedures. But since we should expect superhuman models to understand when we're taking the leap of faith, this is a particularly natural point for models to turn on us. End quote. The good news is I expect the techniques here to fail in highly observable ways, not only in unobservable ways, if we set the experiments up correctly. I think there are good ways to limit the capabilities of the humans giving feedback so as to cause these problems to manifest in a way we can confirm. Quote. We want to train our models to always tell us the truth, even when we can't check. The more ways we have to catch our models lying, the harder it is for them to lie. We can phrase many alignment techniques as a form of consistency check on our model's claims. If we have many different consistency checks and we apply all of them successfully, we should get a model that either tells us the truth or is an incredibly consistent liar. In particular, as we add more consistency checks, we are increasing the bar on the minimal capability level required for the model to be a consistent enough liar to pass all the checks. So all we need is enough consistency checks such that we push the capability requirements beyond the capability level our best models actually have. End quote. I buy that self-consistency, in various forms, is often easier to check than truth. In any given situation, more checksums and verifications and ways to catch problems increase your chances of success. Raising the threshold for successful untruth can certainly forestall problems including cutting off hill climbing online before it can find more effective methods. But also every time you do all of this you are selecting for systems that find ways to pass your checks, including ways that do not require truth. Indeed, when you continuously test humans for inconsistencies and apparent motivations, you at first train something very similar to truth. Then, if you keep at it, you are training people to lie in a very particular way. Train humans to give answers consistent with copies of themselves, past, future, twin, simulations, friends, countrymen, whatever, and yes the obvious shilling point is telling the truth, but there are in many cases better ones. Start with something like, this is actually a weird special case, but my copies might not figure it out, so I'm going to pretend that it isn't. Then go from there. Figuring out how to better navigate each check is likely going to pay off incrementally. Then you introduce cases where you can't consistently identify truth correctly. When this all breaks down, it won't be pretty. Another way of looking at this concern is that one cannot serve two masters. I think that applies here. If you can get a pure version of only one master, for example truth, you can teach the AI to serve it. Alas, this requires that it be uniquely held above everything else. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So the moment you are also evaluating on anything other than truth, as one does, your truth alignment is going to have a problem. Jan affirms the plan is still to get AIs to do our alignment homework, hoping we can be wise enough to get them sufficiently under control to pull that off, and then to choose to sufficiently exclusively assign that particular homework. 
Nothing about the approaches here seems to favor, or disfavor, X being equal to alignment in Get AI to do X research. Quote. It's worth making the distinction between aligning generally superhuman models and aligning superintelligence. The goal of OpenAI's superalignment team is to solve the latter, but the techniques we work on target the former. If we succeed at the latter, we can align a superhuman automated alignment researcher with artisanal alignment techniques. End quote. I find the target of less than four orders of magnitude bigger than human-level models for alignment techniques, assuming 10 orders of magnitude plus is required for ASI to be showing extraordinary, unjustified, faith in the scaling laws involved, and in the failure of human-level and above-human-level models to do various forms of amplification and bootstrapping, and potentially recursive self-improvement. I also notice that I do not see the experiments in the paper as shedding substantial light, in either direction, on the prospects for the proposed techniques Leica discusses in his post. Heading. Vulnerable World Hypothesis. Michael Nielsen offers thoughts on the vulnerable world hypothesis, including a concrete thought experiment for an extremely vulnerable, to fire, world. It is a very good post, although long. The vulnerable world hypothesis is defined as follows. Quote. Vulnerable world hypothesis. If technological development continues, then a set of capabilities will at some point be attained that make the devastation of civilization extremely likely, unless civilization sufficiently exits the semi-anarchic default condition. End quote. He notes that he used to believe the friendly world hypothesis, roughly. Quote. Friendly world hypothesis. It is extremely unlikely that a set of capabilities will be attained which make it near inevitable that civilization will be extinguished, even with humanity in the semi-anarchic default state. End quote. We do not have access to a, practical or safe, experiment that can tell us the answer. How much is this question a crux for whether and how to proceed with AI development and under what governance structure? This is of course one central form of the offense versus defense question. One must also consider that one of the potential recipes for ruin, to worry about is ruin coming from the cumulative effect of uncoordinated decisions and economic, political and social pressures that would arise in such a scenario, and the ability to set such chains in motion. This is not the traditional thing described as a vulnerable world, but neither is a world susceptible to this a friendly world either. Functionally it is vulnerable. You can also end up somewhere in the middle, rather than at either extreme. At its two extremes, the question should be a clear crux for, almost, everyone. If continuing development of AI would soon mean that quite a lot of people had a, blow up the earth, button, or a, the AI's wipe out humanity, button, or a, AI's gain control of the future, button, or even a, unleash a highly deadly plague that will kill quite a lot of people, button, then letting that happen is not an acceptable answer. Either you need to prevent AI that enables that from being developed, keep it from being widely deployed or engage in rather extreme monitoring and control in some other way. If we are confident we can guard against all those things in a decentralized, semi-anarchic way, that AI would not pose such threats, then that is great. We should proceed accordingly, with whatever precautions are necessary to reliably make that happen. One could still disagree, because they dislike that future world for other reasons, but I am happy to say those people are wrong. Heading. People are worried about AI killing everyone. The Pope? Well, sort of. He's calling for a binding global treaty on AI. Quote. Nicole Winfield, AP.
Pope Francis on Thursday called for an international treaty to ensure artificial intelligence is developed and used ethically, arguing that the risks of technology lacking human values of compassion, mercy, morality and forgiveness are too great. But his new peace message went further and emphasized the grave, existential concerns that have been raised by ethicists and human rights advocates about the technology that promises to transform everyday life in ways that can disrupt everything from democratic elections to art. Artificial intelligence may well represent the highest stakes gamble of our future, said Cardinal Michael Cherney of the Vatican's Development Office, who introduced the message at a press conference Thursday. If it turns out badly, humanity is to blame. AI safety memes, in an obsessive desire to control everything, we risk losing control over ourselves. In the quest for an absolute freedom, we risk falling into the spiral of a technological dictatorship, he wrote. Pope Francis warned against the use of AI in weapons systems, saying it could lead to a global catastrophe. The Pope is no Luddite. The Pope appreciates technological and scientific progress that serves humanity, but that Francis was particularly concerned about AI. End quote. Francis is centrally worried about AI armaments or ranking systems, or trusting decisions to algorithms in general. That is reason enough for him. I don't see explicit talk about fully existential risk scenarios. My presumption is the Pope, like many, does not understand the potential of AI could do. But even without that he sees that loss of human control will be a clear theme, and he understands why our choices might still lead down such a road. Lot of fun reactions. Quote. Alex Tabarrok. The Pope has some experience with unaligned superintelligences. Danielle Fong, reacting separately, the greatest overreach since the original monotheism. End quote. I would have said the Tower of Babel, maybe Garden of Eden. At least the Golden Calf. Quote. A.G.I. Dumranon. Yud, never thought I'd die fighting side by side with the Pope. End quote. From Julian Hazel. There's an image here in the text. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is worried, but hasn't quite gotten the full picture yet. Quote. Jamie Yassif. When asked what keeps him up at night, at Jake Sullivan 46 replied, the core security risks of generative AI, in particular the convergence of AI and bio and AI and cyber. End quote. Those are excellent things for a national security advisor to worry about. They still reflect looking for a particular opponent and threat. People in general? Scott Alexander reminds us that when asked people say median of 15%, and mean of 26% chance AI causes extinction by 2100. Mode is roughly 1%, which is most interesting in the sense that it is not 0%. There's an image here in the text. Usual caveats apply. People do not go about their lives as if they believe this, they do not give it much thought, they only say it when actively prompted. Only 32% worry even a fair amount about AI, and that's presumably mostly mundane risks. There's an image here in the text. I see these as highly consistent. Most people, if not prompted socially to worry and instead notice it is socially treated as weird, will ignore such a risk, finding ways to not notice it as needed. There are several images here in the text. Heading. Other people are not as worried about AI killing everyone. Brian Bishop is worried about aliens developing AIs? Quote. Brian Bishop. You are always in a state of extraordinary risk. It has gone down a lot, true. 
But you forcing the planet to stop developing AI doesn't protect you from AIX risk, because you don't have dominion over the rest of the universe. There's still risk. End quote. We are not playing an intentionally symmetrical game like Master of Orion or Star Trek. Under any reasonable model of potential aliens, whether grabby aliens or otherwise, the probability of us being in a close race with aliens, where we live if we build AI quickly but die to aliens or alien AIs if we do not, is epsilon. If we postponed AI forever dune style and otherwise survived, then yes over a billion years this becomes an issue. He also is the latest, upthread, to say, safe? No one is safe. Quote. Brian Bishop. Humanity was never safe. Most of human history was spent in the mud in abject poverty and disease and death. 100 billion humans are dead. End quote. Gary Kasparov insists AI is and always will be a tool. Seems deeply conceptually confused. Heading. The lighter side. Scott Alexander is no quitter. So here's son of bride of Bay Area house party. Previously I thought this was running out of steam. I was wrong. We are so back. Not that this is obviously a good thing. Sometimes you want it to be so over. I wonder if this in particular was brilliant? Quote. Are you going to deny the Ukraine war? I deny the Ukraine war, says a woman sitting next to you, who introduces herself as Irina. How can you deny it? You can just watch the news. Or go to Kiev. I live in Kiev, says Irina. I'm just visiting family here for a few weeks. How, how can you live in Kiev and deny there's a Ukraine war? Well, says Irina, I just think that belief in the war is a, what's the English term, totalizing ideology. My neighbors believe in the war, and they leave their wives and children to go to the front and fight the Russians. I was always taught to put family first, and I think it's wrong to become the sort of fanatic who lets your beliefs get in the way of that. It's not a belief. There are literal Russians with literal tanks. Don't get me wrong, I think soldiers are great. I just see a lot of bright promising young people whose mental health goes down the drain when they start believing in Russians. They have panic attacks about, what if the Russians bomb my city, and feel this crushing guilt that they need to, get their parents away from the front line, or rescue family members, or else they're bad people. I think this is kind of a, what's the English word, cult. If you believe there are Russians ready to overrun your country, you can justify any atrocity. Why not institute slavery, so you can force people to join the war? Why not kill everyone in Russia, so they can't threaten you again? Why not commit terrorism against Russian targets? Why not give me all your money, so I can stop these evil, evil Russians? It's, what's the English term? Pascalian reasoning. You know, in the past the doomsayers talked about, overpopulation, and, global cooling. Now they talk about Russians, and, Putin. I think you should just live a normal and virtuous life, be honest, be kind to your neighbors. Please excuse me, you say. I've decided I'm going to go back into the main room and listen to people talk about Sam Altman. End quote. Good news, the physicists will be joining the cause shortly, SMBC. This article was narrated by Type 3 Audio for Less Wrong. It was first published on December 21, 2023. To report an issue or give feedback on this narration, go to t3a.i.s.